0: 10. Appropriating nutritive materials for the general circulation, while the respiration adds to it oxygen, that agent which makes vital manifestation possible. This temperament exhibits greater sensibility, the conceptions are quicker, the imagination more vivid, the appetite stronger, the passions more violent, and there is found every display of animal life and enjoyment, a full development of the basilar faculties, indicated by an unusual breadth and depth of the base of the brain accompanies this temperament. Its cerebral area includes the posterior and inferior portions of the cerebrum, the entire cerebellum, and that part of the medulla which connects with the spinal cord, all of which sustain intimate relations to vital conditions. Accordingly, such a development indicates good digestion, active nutrition, vigorous secretion, large heart and lungs, powerful muscles, and surplus vitality. The violent faculties, such as combativeness, destructiveness, and hatred, are natural adjuncts, and their excess tends to sensuality and crime. they are not only secretive, appropriative, selfish, and self-defensive, but when redundant are aggressive and tend to destructiveness, the gratification of animal indulgence, intemperance, and debauchery, the correspondence between the cerebral conformation and the physical development is very obvious, lower orders of animals possess these faculties, and their spontaneous exhibition is called instinct. They possess the acquisitive, destructive, and propagative propensities, which lead them to provide for their wants and secure to themselves a posterity. The exercise of their bodies causes a continual waste which demands incessant reparation, and they are governed measurably by these animal impulses. All of these lower psychical faculties have a physiological significance. Acquisitiveness functionally expresses assimilation, accretion, animal growth, and tends to bodily repletion. Secretiveness expresses concealing, separating, withdrawing, and functionally signifies secretive action. Secretion is the separating and withdrawing from the blood some of its constituents, as mucus, bile, saliva, etc. This latter process indicates complex conditions of organization, so that the higher and more complex the tissue, the greater the number of secretory organs, and restrained selfishness while it naturally conserves the individual interests, in its ultimate tendencies, is the very essence of human depravity, without qualification, clearly, it is crime, for blind devotion to the individual must be in utter disregard for the good of others, the ultimate tendencies of these faculties are, therefore, criminal, exaggerate the faculty of acquisitiveness, and it becomes avariciousness. develop secretiveness and selfishness, and they become cunning and profligacy, desperation and crime, their functional development tends to produce physical disorder and violent disease, all of these faculties are vehement, contentious, thriving by opposition, life itself has been called a forced state, because it wars with the elements it appropriates, and transmutes their powers into vitality, we find men and women of this temperament, who are models of character and organization, George Washington is an excellent illustration, the impression that his presence made upon the Marquis de chase deluxe, is given in the following words, I wish only to express the impression General Washington has left on my mind, the idea of a perfect whole, brave without temerity, laborious without ambition, generous without prodigality, noble without pride, virtuous without severity, General Scott, Lord Cornwallis, Dr. Wistar, Bishop Sillay John Bright, Jenny Lynn Goldsmith, and Dr. Call are good representatives of this temperament. Figure 86 is an excellent illustration of it, finely blended and well-balanced. In the person of Medame de Stahl, this temperament requires fewer tonics and stimulants than the lymphatic. This constitution is best able to restore vital losses. It is a vital temperament. In other words, it combines favorably with all the others, and better adapts itself to their various conditions. Some regard it as the best adjusted one in all its organs and tissues. And as the most satisfactory and serviceable, excessive nutrition tends to plethora, to animal indulgence, and gross sensuality, not only do the propensities rouse desire, but they excite the basilar faculties, and portray their wants in the outlines of the face, mold the features to their expression, and flash their significance from the eye, who can mistake the picture of sensuality represented by figure 87, it is enough to shop the sensibility of a dumb animal. And to say that such a face has a beastly look, is an unkind reflection upon the brute creation. A large neck and corresponding development of the occipital half of the brain indicate nervous energy, yet nutrition is not absolutely dependent upon it, for the nutritive processes are active before a nervous system is formed, the lower faculties of the mind exert a remarkable influence over nutrition, secretion, and the molecular changes incident to a life. Anger or fear may transmute the mother's nourishing milk into a virulent poison. The following incident, taken from Drive Carpenter's Physiology, illustrates this statement. A carpenter fell into a quarrel with a soldier billeted in his house, and was set upon by the latter with his drawn sword. The wife of the carpenter at first trembled from fear and terror, and then suddenly threw herself between the combatants, wrested the sword from the soldier's hand, broke it in pieces, and threw it away. During the tumult, Some neighbors came in and separated the men, while in the state of strong excitement, the mother took up her child from the cradle, where it lay playing, and in the most perfect health, never having had a moment's illness, she gave it the breast, and in so doing sealed its fate, in a few minutes the infant left off sucking, became restless, panted, and sank dead upon the mother's bosom, the physician who was instantly called in found the child lying in the cradle, as if asleep, and with its features undisturbed but all resources were fruitless. It was irrecoverably gone. In this interesting case, the milk must have undergone a change, which gave it a powerful sedative action upon the susceptible nervous system of the infant. Anxiety, irritation, hatred, all tend to the vitiation of the disposition and bodily functions, perverting the character and constitution at the same time. Depravity of thought and secretion go together. Degradation of mind and corruption of the body are concomitants. There is a very close affinity between mental and moral perversion and physical prostitution, of which fact too many are unconscious. Nervous influence preserves the fluidity of the blood and facilitates its circulation, for it appears that simple arrestment of this influence favors the coagulation of the blood in the vessels, clots being found in their trunks within a few minutes after the brain and spinal marrow are broken down. Habitual constipation is the source of many ills. Perversion of the functions of the stomach and of the circulation of the blood, produce general disaster. Diseases which characterize this temperament are acute, violent, or inflammatory, indicating repletion and active congestion, intense inflammation, burning fevers, severe rheumatism, a quick, full pulse, great bodily heat, and functional excitement are its morbid accompaniments. These diseases will bear thorough depletion of the alimentary canal, active, hydrogog cathartics being indicated. Sedatives and anodynes are also essential to modify the circulatory forces, and to relieve pain, violent disturbance must be quelled, and among the remedial agents required for this duty we may include veratrum, Ipecac, Digitalis, Opium, Conium, and Asclepias, while equalizing the circulatory fluids, restoring the secretions, and thoroughly evacuating the system, and thus endeavoring to remove disturbing causes. We find that the conditions of this temperament are exceedingly favorable for restoration to health. True, many chronic diseases are obstinate. Yet a course of restorative medication persistently followed promises a fortunate issue in this tractile temperament. Hygienic management of the lymphatic and sanguine temperaments consists in the vigorous toming of the former, while restraint of the latter will greatly exempt it from the anxieties, contentions, and vexations which excite the mind disturb the bodily functions, and end in chronic disease. People of the latter organization love mental and physical stimulants, are easily inflamed by passion, and their excitability degenerates into irritability, succeeded by serious functional derangements, which prematurely break down the individual with inveterate, deep-seated disorder, serenity, hope, faith, as well as firmness, are natural hygienic elements. It is a duty we owe ourselves to promptly relinquish a business which corrodes with its cares, and depresses with its increasing troubles, constant solicitude, and the apprehension of financial disaster, frustrate the bodily functions, disconcert the organic processes, and lead to mental aberration as well as physical degeneracy. Melancholy is chronic, while despair is acute mania, whose impulses drive the victim desperately toward self-destruction. The chronic derangement of these organs exerts with less force the same morbid tendency, hence the necessity for exercising those hygienic and countervailing influences born of resolution, assurance, and confident trust, and the belief which strengthens all of the vital operations. Doubtless, this temperament is the source of the reproductive powers. It is the cornerstone essential to the foundation of all other temperaments. It has been supposed by some that the cerebellum is the seat of sexual instinct. The fact appears that an ample development of the posterior base of the cerebrum and the cerebellum indicates nutritive activity, which is certainly a condition most favorable to the display of ametiveness, in a double sense, then, this temperament is a vital one, both by nutritive repletion, and by reproduction, it is the blood manufacturing, tissue generating, and body constructing temperament, causing growth to exceed waste, and promptly repairing the wear which follows continual labor. While the sleazy structures of the lymphatic temperament are favorable to the functions of transudotion, exhalation, and mutual diffusion of liquids, the sanguine, as its name indicates, is adapted to promote the circulation of the blood, to favor nutrition and reproduction. The former temperament does not move the world by its energies, or impress it vividly with its wisdom, and the latter is more enthusiastic, enjoyable, and quickening. Each temperament, however, possesses salient qualities and advantages. The Lifeline, Dr. W. B. Powell, in his work on The Human Temperaments, announces the discovery of a measurement which indicates the tenacity of life, and the vital possessions of the individual. He has observed that some persons of very feeble appearance possess remarkable powers of resistance to disease, and continue to live until the machinery of life literally wears out. Others, apparently stronger and more robust, die before the usual term of life is half completed. He also noticed that some families were remarkable for their longevity, while others reached only a certain age, less than the average term of life, and then died. He remarked also that some patients sank under attacks of disease, when, to all appearances, they should recover, and that others recovered, when, according to all reasonable calculations, they ought to die. He, therefore, Not only believed that the duration of human life was more definitely fixed by the organization than is supposed, but he set himself to a work to discover the line of life, and the measure of its duration. He made a distinction between vital vigor, and vital tenacity. Vital vigor he believed to be equivalent to the condition of vitality, which is indicated by the breadth of the brain found in the sanguine temperament, and vital tenacity to be measured by the depth of the base of the brain. Dr. Powell was an indefatigable student of nature and followed his theory through years of observation, and measured hundreds of heads of living persons, in order to verify the correctness of the hypothesis, his method of measuring the head may be stated as follows, he drew a line from the occipital protuberance on the back of the head to the junction of the frontland malar bones, extending it to a point above the center of the external orbit of the eye, near the termination of the brow. Then he measured the distance between this line and the orifice of the ear and thus obtained the measure indicating the vital tenacity or duration of life. Figure 88 is a representation of the skull of Loper, who was executed for murder in Mississippi. He might have attained a great age, had not his violent and selfish faculties led him into the commission of crime. In this illustration, B represents the occipital protuberance, and of the junction of the frontland malar bones at the external angle of the eye. The distance between this line of E and the external orifice of the ear, is the measure of the life force of Loper at the time of his execution, the tenacity of an individual's life. Dr. Powell determined by the following scale of measurements, three-fourths of an inch from the orifice of the ear to the lifeline, is the average length in the adult, and indicates ordinary tenacity of life. As the distance decreases to five-eighths, one-half, or three-eighths of an inch, vital tenacity diminishes. If the distance is more than three-quarters of an inch, it denotes great vital endurance, excellent recuperative powers, and is indicative of longevity. If it measures less than half an inch, it shows that the Constitution has a feeble, and certain hold upon life, and in acute disease is very likely to sunder the vital relations. Dr. Powell contended that, life force and vital force are not equivalent terms, because much more vital force is expended upon our relations been upon our organization in the preservation of life. Every muscular contraction, every thought, and every emotion requires an expenditure of vital force. He asserted that we inherit our life force or constitutional power, and that we can determine by this lifeline, the amount which we so receive, and he believed that it could be increased by intellectual effort, just as we can increase vital force by physical exercise. Figure 89 represents the skull of a man who died, at nearly the same age as Loper, of consumption, in the Charity Hospital, at New Orleans, the measurement of the skull in this case gives a space between the lifeline and the orifice of the ear of one sixteenth of an inch, showing that the consumptive had lived the full term of his life. Dr. Powell contended that the depth of a man's brain may be increased after maturity, muscular effort, mental activity, and a sense of responsibility being favorable to a longevity, while idleness and dissipation are adverse to it. Injustice to the doctor, we have stated fully his theory and his method of determining the hardihood and endurance of the Constitution, and we bespeak for it a candid examination, without doubt it embodies a great deal of truth. Hereafter we shall endeavor to indicate by cerebral configuration, a better system of judging of the vital tenacity, hardihood, and constitutional energies, both inherited and acquired, the B.L.I.D.I.D. temperament, by reference to Figures 72 and 80. The reader will be able to allocate the region of the volitive faculties, previously described under the generic term will. This temperament is characterized by ambition, energy, industry, perseverance, decision, vigilance, self-control, arrogance, love of power, firmness, and hardihood. These faculties express concentration of purpose and their functional equivalents are power of elaboration, constructiveness, condensation, firmness of fiber, compactness of frame, and endurance of organization, the pulse is full, firm, and regular, the muscles are strong and well marked, the hair and skin dark, the temporal region is not broadly developed, the face is angular, its lines denoting both power of purpose and strength of constitution, with resolution and hardihood blended in the expression, the volatile temperament is distinguished by height of the posterior, superior occipital region, called the crown of the back head and by corresponding breadth from side to side. The rule given by Dr. J.R. Buchanan applies not only to the convolutions, but to the general development of the brain. Length gives power, or range of action, and breadth gives copiousness, or activity of manifestation. Thus a high, narrow back head indicates firmness and decision, but it is not as constant and copious in its manifestation as when it is associated with breadth. An individual having a narrow, high head, may determine readily enough upon a course of action, but he requires a longer period for its completion than one whose head is both high and broad, such a cerebral conformation cannot accomplish its objects without enjoying regular rest, and maintaining the best of habits, breadth of this region of the brain indicates ample resources of energy, both psychical and physical, it denotes greater vigor of constitution, one that continually generates volatile forces and its persistency of purpose may be interpreted as functional tenacity, inflexibility of will and purpose impart their tenacious qualities to every bodily function, the will to recover is often far more potent than medicine, we have often witnessed its power in restraining the ravages of disease, the energetic faculties, located at the upper and posterior part of the head, are the invigorating, or tonic elements of the constitution, imparting hardy, firm, steady, and efficient influences, checking excessive secretion, repressing dissipation, and tending to maintain self-possession, as well as healthy conditions of life. Figure 90 is a portrait of U.S. Grant, which shows a well-balanced organization, with sufficient volative elements to characterize the Constitution. The old term bilious temperament might possibly be retained in deference to a long usage, did it not inculcate a radical error. Bilious is strictly a medical term, relating to bile or two derangements produced by it, and it was used originally to distinguish a temperament supposed to be characterized by a predominance of the biliary secretion, in the volative temperament, the firm, tenacious, foaming, and restraining faculties repress, rather than encourage biliary secretion, and hence the necessity for administering large doses of cholagogues remedies which stimulate the secretion of bile, when the system is surcharged with bile, from a congested condition of the liver. We use these agents in order to obtain necessary relief. In this temperament there is moderate hepatic development, lack of biliary activity, deficiency in the secretion of bile, and a sluggish portal circulation. Therefore, to apply the term bilious to this temperament is not only unreasonable, but it is calculated to mislead. The condition of the bowels is generally constipated, the skin dark and sometimes sallow. For these and other obvious reasons, we dismiss the word bilious and substitute one which is more characteristic, we will not dwell upon the volative as psychical organs, except to show that, when their influence is transmitted to the body, they act as physiological organs, and thus demonstrate that all parts of the brain had their physiological, as well as mental functions. When Andrew Jackson uttered with great emphasis the memorable words, by the eternal, the effect was like a shot from a galvanic battery, thrilling the cells in his own body and paralyzing with fear everyone in Calhoun's organization. This is an illustration of the power or range of action of these faculties. Bread for copiousness is illustrated in General Grant's reply. I propose to fight it out on this line, if it takes all summer. Such a temperament has a profusion of constitutional power, great durability of the life force, and, in our opinion, the combined height and breadth of this region correctly indicate the natural hardihood of the body and its retentiveness of life. No one need doubt its influence upon the sympathetic system, and, through that system, its power over absorption, circulation, assimilation, and secretion, as well as the voluntary processes. Mental hardihood seems wrought into concrete organization, it checks excessive glandular absorption, restrains the impulses of tumultuous passion, tones and regulates the action of the heart, and helps to weave the strands of organization into a more compact fabric the toming energies of the volatile faculties are better than quinine to fortify the system against miasma or malaria, and they company operate with all tonic remedies in sustaining organic action. Figure 91 is a portrait of Professor Tyndall, the eminent chemist, whose likeness indicates volatile innervation, showing great strength of character and of constitution, he is an earnest, thorough, and intense mental twaller, ambitious, but modest, brilliant, because persevering, diligent in scientific inquiry, and who follows the star of truth, whithersoever it may lead him, the expression of his countenance indicates his honest intentions, and displays strength of conscientious purpose, his physical constitution may be correctly interpreted in all of its general characteristics by the analysis of his energetic temperament, the great secret of his strength and success. We desire to offer one more illustration of a marvelous blending of this temperament with large mental and emotional faculties. Figure 92 is a representation of the martyred President Abraham Lincoln. During an eventful career, his temperament and constitution experienced marked changes, and while always distinguished for strength of purpose and corresponding physical endurance, he was governed by noble, moral faculties, manifesting the deepest sympathy for the downtrodden and oppressed, blending tenderness and stateliness without weakness, exhibiting a human kindness, and displaying a genuine compassion. Which endeared him to all hearts. He was hopeful, patriotic, magnanimous, even, while upholding the majesty of the law and administering the complicated affairs of government. The balances of his temperament operated with wonderful delicacy, through all the perturbating influences of the rebellion, showing by their persistence that he was never for a moment turned aside from the great end he had in view, the protection and perpetuation of republican liberty. His life exhibited a sublime, moral heroism. Elements of character which hello his name, and keep it in everlasting remembrance. We have treated the brain, not as a mass of organs radiating from the medulla oblongata as their real center, but as two cerebral masses, each of which is developed around the great ventricle. We have freely applied an easy psychical and physiological nomenclature to the functions of its organs, knowing that there is no arbitrary division of them by specific number. For the cerebrum, in an anatomical sense, is a single organ. The doctrine of cerebral unity is true, and the doctrine of its plurality of function is true also. Whatever effect an organ produces when acting in entire predominance, is regarded as the function of that organ and is expressed by that name. Although our names and divisions are arbitrary and designed for convenience, yet they facilitate our consideration of the psychical, and their corresponding physiological functions. Every cerebral manifestation denotes a psychical organ and in proportion as these acts are transmitted to the body it becomes a physiological organ. We have ventured to repeat this proposition for the sake of the non-professional reader, that he may be able to distinguish between the two results of the manifestation of one organ. The transmission of the influence of the brain into the body enables the former to act physiologically, whereas, if its action were confined within the cranium, it would only be psychical, in the language of Professor J. R. Buchanan. Every organ, therefore, has its mental and corporeal, its psychological and physiological functions both usually manifested together either capable of assuming the predominance, we have already seen to what degree the will operates upon the organism, or how the soul imparts special energy to single organs, so that they perform their functions with more than usual efficiency, and thus resist the solicitations of morbific agents. Doubtless our best thoughts are deeply tinged by the healthful or diseased conditions of such organs as the stomach, the lungs, the heart, or even the muscular or circulatory systems, and these impressions, when carried to the sensorium, are reflected by the thoughts, for reflex action is the third class of functions, assigned to the cerebrum. These reflex actions are either hygienic and remedial, or morbid and pernicious, hence, it is philosophical not only to interpret the thoughts as physiological and pathological indications, but to consider the cerebrum as exerting real hygienic and remedial forces, capable of producing salutary reparative, and restorative effects. When a boiler carries more steam than can be advantageously employed, it is subjected to a necessary and injurious strain, and is weakened thereby, so, when the body is overtasked by excessive pressure of the volatile faculties, it is prematurely enfeebled and broken down. There are many individuals who need to make use of some sort of safety valve to let off the surplus of their inordinate ambition, they need some kind of patent break to slacken their speed of living, they should relieve the friction of their functional powers by a more frequent lubrication of the vital movements, and by stopping, for needed refreshment and rest, that some of the many way stations of life, the encephalic temperament, The encephalic temperament is distinguished by prominence and breadth of the forehead, or by a full forehead associated with height and breadth at its coronal junction with the parietal bones, and extending toward the volative region. See figure 10. The space between one and two represents the coronal region, one indicating the frontal bone, and to the parietal. Prominence and great breadth of the forehead display analytical, i.e. scientific powers applicable to concretes, whereas a fair intellect, Associated with a preponderating development of the coronal region, indicates analogical powers, i.e. faculties to perceive the relation and the agreement of principles. The former classifies and arranges facts. The latter invests them with moral and spiritual import. The one treats of matter, its physical properties, and chemical composition. The other of thoughts and intentions which involve right and wrong. Relating to spiritual accountability, the intellect is employed upon an observable order of things while the emotive faculties arrange the general laws of being into abstract science. Figure 93, a portrait of Professor Thalut, is a remarkable example of an encephalic organization. Figures 72 and 79 fairly indicate the effects of a new mental activity, the intellect causing vital expenditure resulting in the devitalization of the blood, while the intellect displays keen penetration, subtle discrimination, and profound discernment. The emotions exhibit intense sensitiveness acute susceptibility, and inspirational impressibility. The encephalic temperament is characterized by mental activity, great delicacy of organization, a high and broad forehead, expressive eyes, fine but not very abundant hair, great sensitiveness, refined feelings, vividness of conception, and intensity of emotion. If the brain is developed on the sides, there is manifested ideality, modesty, hope, sublimity, imagination, and spirituality. If the brain and forehead project, the perceptive, intuitive, and reasoning faculties predominate. If it rises high and nearly perpendicularly, liberality, sympathy, truthfulness, and sociability are manifested. When the emotive faculties are large, faith, hope, love, philanthropy, religion, and devotion characterize the individual. It is an artistic, creative, and aesthetic temperament, beautiful in conception and grand in expression yet its sensitiveness is enfeebling, and its crowning excellence, when betrayed by the propensities, trails in defilement, its purity is godlike, its debauchment, perdition, figure 94 is the likeness of Professor George Bush, his forehead is amply developed in the region of foresight, liberality, sympathy, truthfulness, and benevolence, his mouth expresses amiability and cheerfulness, and the whole face beams with kindness and generosity, this philanthropist, was both a preacher and an author, has published several works upon theology, which distinguish him for great research and originality. Figure 95 represents the sanguine encephalic temperament, the two elements being most happily blended. The portrait is that of Immanuel Swedenborg, the great scholar and spiritual divine. The reader will observe how high and symmetrical is the forehead, and how well-balanced appears the entire organization. He was remarkable for vivid imagination great scientific acquirements, and all his writings characterize him as a subtle reasoner, when the encephalic predominates, and the sanguine is deficient in its elements, we find conditions favorable to a waste and expenditure, and adverse to a generous supply and reformation of the tissues, a child inheriting this cerebral development is already top heavy, and supports, that an immense disadvantage, this disproportionate organization, the nutritive functions are overbalanced, Consequently there is a predisposition to scrofulous diseases and disorders of the blood, various degenerating changes taking place in its composition, loss of red corpuscles, signified by shortness of breath, morbid changes, manifested by cutaneous eruptions, exhaustion from lack of nourishment, etc. until, finally, consumption finishes the subject, harmony is the support of all institutions, and applies with special cogency to the maintenance of health. When the mind dwells on one subject to the exclusion of all others, we call such a condition monomania. If we have an excessive development of mind, and deficient support of body, the result is corporeal derangement. It is unfortunate for any child to inherit unusually large brain endowments, unless he is possessed of a vigorous, robust constitution. Such training should be directed to that body as will encourage it to grow strong, hardy, and thrifty and enable it to support the cerebral functions, the mental proclivities should be checked and the physical organization cultivated, to ensure to such a child good health, cut off all unnecessary brain wastes, attend to muscular training and such invigorating games and exercise.